Twenty-seven seconds, baby. Okay. Okay, hang on. How to get exactly what you want. That's what we're talking about today. And uh, a big part of that is prayer. So I just want to pray. I want to pray for you folks who are watching this. I don't know if anybody shared any prayer requests this morning, but um, if they have, you can shout them out. Um, but if you have a prayer request, and if you're on our website, uh, please let us know. We'd love to pray for you and with you. It'll give them a, a second or so to catch up. Um, but as we pray, just jump in if you have something there. God. Thank you again for gathering us together uh, across the internet and uh, in living rooms all around this community. Lord, I ask that you would uh, you meet us here. Meet us right in this place, right at this time, uh, that we can understand your word, God, that we can get closer to you. We love you, Lord. We praise you for how you're at work. We look forward to what you're going to do in ways that we can't fully understand. But we trust you, God. I ask you, Lord, that you would teach us today. Those who are watching this, those who are worshiping with us, God, that they find encouragement. God, that they would be challenged to grow, that they'd be, that they'd be drawn into growing in their faith, God, to step out of their faith and, and to exercise it in ways that they'd never considered before. Lord God, you are good. Thank you, Lord. I lift to you those who are sick in our community, or those who are needing healing. I know Karen is, is here faithfully and uh, online, and um, she just comes to my mind, Lord, and I ask you to continue to, to work in her life. Lord, I, I know of uh, marriages in our community that are, that are going through a rough time, and I ask you, God, that you would just strengthen them, draw them to you, and as we're drawn to you, God, we might get closer together. God, for our churches who are entertaining the idea of merging together, God, there's a lot of fear in that. There's a lot of anxiety in that. And I ask you, God, that you would be our healer, that you would be our peace, that you would reveal your way forward to us, God. Lord, for everything that's going on in our world, for the, the angst and division that's happening, whether it be politically and everything else, God, I just pray that you would that you would be the, the bomb of Gilead for our nation, God. That you would bring healing. That we would look, that we would see each other and not, um, we'd see each other as you see us. As beloved children of God, created in your image, that how can we bar, harbor uh, ill will towards an image bearer of the king? God, allow the church to be to lead the world in that, in forgiveness, in patience, in long-suffering.
Lord, as we just as we spend this moment before you, God, hear our prayers. Amen. Amen. So grab a Bible, if you would. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 25. Uh, some of the scriptures will be here on the screen, but not all of them. Um, so you, you will need a you will need a Bible. A while back, I was I spent a lot of time scrolling on the internet, uh, going from one site to another, back and forth, and um, from time to time, I would get really close to what I was looking for, only to find out well now that's not quite it, and I I just go to find another one and I would scroll to a different site to a different site, and this went on for a couple of weeks, and you're probably wondering what is he talking about? I was like Goldilocks. Of the three bears, only only I never found baby bears stuff, right? Night after night, staying up way too late, late and paying for it the next day. It started out exciting, like I was on a search, right? But soon that excitement began to turn into uh, dread. <laughs> so just I hated the whole process. You may not. What I'm talking about is uh, last summer after Michelle and I had a terrible car accident um, or truck accident, I guess. Uh, my our truck was totaled, and we, I had to shop for a new one. And it started out, oh, get to get a new truck, and, and then and before long, it was, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. Uh, one thing I did learn real quick is that it, it's hard to decide what you want until you decide what you want is worth. It's, and that's what we're going to kind of explore today. It's, it's hard to decide what you want. Until you decide what you want is worth, and that's very true. It revealed it came clear in my shop for a vehicle, uh, for sure. I mean, we know what money's worth, right? I mean, it tells us right on there, and we even know what all the options on the truck cost anyway, we, because they tell us what all the different things cost. But what they don't tell us is not the cost of, but they don't tell us what what those things are worth. That's something that. Because they're not all worth the same. Because we have, you decide what it's worth, and I decide what it's worth. They des- they determine the cost. You determine the value. You might want to write that down. That might come in handy for you later on. That that others get to determine the cost, but you get to determine the value. See, um, the way it the way it worked out for me was was as I was shopping for the truck, right. It was. It came down to making decisions. Was how much of my money was worth four wheel drive? How much of my money was worth a long bed of the for the truck? How much of my money was worth leather seats? Or how much was which was worth more, my money or a diesel two fifty? How do you decide? How do you determine the value of it? And how you answer that question, I believe, is the beginning to getting exactly what you want. To get exactly what you want. Because once you decide what you want, what, what you want is worth, you have to understand that, right? Once you decide what, how much, what you want is worth, then it's easy to decide to decide if those things are worth it. But first, you have to decide what they're worth, what they, what they're worth. Until you know the value of something, you're just guessing. You're, you're relying on what others tell you, you you ought to do or what you should do. I mean, Here's a prime example. If, if family was great for you growing up, I mean, you had a great family. People always loved you, always supported you, were always there for you. 
And then one day you started taking them for granted. Why did you take them for granted? Because a strong family wasn't that valuable to you. Or you may have grown up in a pretty dysfunctional family, right? I mean, everything was out of whack. And along the way, you began to swear to yourself that I will never let my family get like that. I will never, I won't allow that to happen. Why? Because a strong family was important to you. It was valuable to you. Have you ever thought about how much what you want is worth? I mean, whatever it is that you want. Have you ever thought about how much that is worth? Not what it costs, but what it's worth. Value, you see, is completely dependent on you. It's what, it's the, it's what you assign to it. I mean, Elon Musk, he can buy rockets, right? Why? Because the money is insignificant to him. So it doesn't matter the cost of something. It's the value of it. In today's text, we have three stories of people asking People asking for things. And in those three stories, I believe that we can find some some wisdom to help us value what it is that we want. As well as what the value of what we already have is. So, the bottom line, which I'm going to get to today, um, is don't trade what matters most for what matters now. Don't trade what matters most for what matters now. I say this because what matters now always seems to be worth more than anything else. I mean, the thing that's pressing in on you right now seems to be the most important thing. When I was looking for a truck, I wanted it now, and I was willing to pay extra so I that I could get it now. Fortunately, we made a decision of this is as far as we're going to go because our future financial health was more important than our right now of needing a new truck. We made the decision. I always went back to that and remembered that, no, when it comes to this truck, what matters most is our our family's financial health, not the leather seats, not the diesel engine. Dwight Eisenhower, former president, President's Day on Monday, don't forget that. Uh, celebrate however you will. <laughs> but Dwight Eisenhower, he said this, he said, What's important is seldom urgent, and what's urgent is seldom important. So that's a powerful statement. What's important is seldom urgent. The important things are never pressing in on you. It's the urgent things that press in on you. The important things are the things that we have to force ourselves to kind of to remember, to hold in front of us. We need to write them down, right? Make a list of all the things that are most important to us. I think we're going to see this play itself out in today's text as we work our way through it. Uh, chapter 25, it starts with the death of Abraham in the first 11 verses there. And the shocking thing I don't, to me was that Abraham took a new wife. You know, I never thought much about Abraham. You know, I always think Abraham and Sarah. I never think of Abraham and, and this new Keturah was her name. I think that's how you say it. But uh, you never think of that. But, but he had many sons. He had six sons with Keturah, right? When he died, he left everything to Isaac, and he sent those six sons, uh, well, seven sons, I guess, Ishmael as well, he sent them away to the east. Uh, he died at 175, and that, those first 11 verses there are just kind of a, a name and a recording of the fact that, that he died and they, he was buried with Sarah in the tomb that he bought, in that only plot of land that he owned of the promised land. Then 
in chapter 25 as we kind of work our way through the text here. We see in chapter 12 through 18 a record of the life of Ishmael. Ishmael, who was the first son of Abraham, uh, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, right? Um, and we see now that, that, that Ishmael has 12 sons, and the Scripture says that they become 12 tribes. And the important thing here, I think, is, is that the text also tells us that they were always at conflict with their brothers and their cousins, right? With, with the sons of Isaac and the sons of Keturah and Abraham. So there was always this conflict from the sons of Ishmael uh, as they lived in, I guess, in, in northern Egypt and uh, over into uh, the Middle East. Uh, they, there was, they were the source of much conflict that we're going to read about again and again and again in the, as we read through the scriptures. Um, as we continue in the text is where we're going to find the answer to the question, how to get what you want. So I really want to answer that question for you. I want, I want us all to leave today knowing how to get what we want. Uh, we find that beginning in the verse in verse 19 in the story of Isaac. And I just want we're going to read that. It's here on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean the Aramean, from Padam Aran, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? Right? That here we have the, the one who's promised to be a part of, of the, the multitude of generations. Here we have them unable to have children. But this time, instead of the story being built around Isaac and uh, Rebecca's inability to have children, like it was with Abraham and Sarah, you know, that was all the ups and downs of the story of Abraham and Sarah were all about their inability to have kids. But here, we see Isaac, when he became troubled that his wife was unable to have kids, his first instinct, maybe not his first, but right away his instinct was to go to the Lord to go to God and, and to lift his wife up to, to the Lord and say, help, right? Man, I, I have to figure that, that Abraham, well, Abraham is still alive during this time and, and that Abraham is there telling his son, hey, don't for, just, just go to God. Don't do any of the things that I did, right? You know, like we would do, uh, we might do for our own kids. Don't make the mistakes I made. You know, just, just pray. Ask God to help you. you know, I can, I'm sure, Scripture doesn't tell us that, but I'm sure that Abraham was there coaching his son, telling him, reminding him, prompting him to trust God in this. Abraham knew what was most important. He had, he had experienced that. He learned it by, by depending on God all throughout. And Isaac, Isaac now asked God. He'd, he'd been married 20 years. We don't know if, if he started praying early on or if he waited 20 years before he started praying. But at some point, Isaac realized that, that I've got no choice. I've got, I can't do this. I can't fix this. It's not right, and there's only one place I can go. And that's the first way. How do you get what you want? You ask the right person. You ask the right person. Isaac 
she is very familiar with God's goodness. He's known God's goodness for a long time. He's been surrounded and overwhelmed with these stories of, of God the provider, Jehovah Jireh, right? Isaac, the one that Abraham had been promised. He knew that's who he was. And so now he went back to God of his own promise. He knew God as one who kept his promises. But also, God, it, Isaac had come to trust God to do what he was, what was beyond his control, what was beyond his ability. He trusted that God could do. And for you and I, when we've done all we can do, when we've, when we've messed things up beyond our ability to repair, I believe eventually, if, if we're... If we're blessed enough, eventually we get to the point where there's only one person we can ask to help. And that's God. One person that you can trust no matter what. It's a blessing to get to that point. I don't know if, I assume that most of you have gotten to the point where you had only one person to turn to with God. But, but if you were to call a friend right now, if you only had... One call to make. Who would it be? Who would, it, who would the call be to? Now, immediately my instinct is to think of my real physical friends on this earth who I would call. But in reality, the one person I should call, I should, my, 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 my outreach should be to God. Uh, above all others. The experience that Isaac had with God, through the stories of his family for sure, but but maybe even more so of leading his wife to him, taught him that God, trusting God was essential. He knew that the best thing that he could do was trust in God's mercy. His, and, and scripture describes mercy as, as kindness, loving kindness, goodness, grace, favor, pity, compassion, steadfast love. And all throughout the, the scriptures, that's the way it's, it's referred to, God's mercy. And these are ever present in God. Sometimes we can, that is all we have to rely on. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to get to the end of your rope. And there you find God. Prophet Daniel, he spoke to this. When he saw the destruction of Israel, he referred to God's mercy. When he prayed, he prayed these words. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't make requests of you because we are righteous but because of your great mercy. You can hear Isaac pray in that sort of prayer, right? Lord, we have no other option. You made a promise to my father, and I stand here now asking you to be faithful to that promise, God. Not, not because I'm that good or I've done all the right things, but because you are the right thing. but because you are. That's what we can always rely on. It's God's mercy, his constant provision, his constant love for us that never gives up. So when you're at the end of your rope, call out to him. It's inspiring to me to see a prophet, or people even, that God, that, that trust God so much that not much else matters in their lives. Like we see this here with Daniel, and we see it with, with uh, Isaac. That's what Jesus, I believe, was getting to in, his, in the text today from, 
in uh, John chapter 14, John chapter 14, where Jesus said, uh, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father and will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for what, anything in my name, and I will do it. He says, he says, those of you who are following me are doing the things that I taught you to do, the, one, the things that I've called you to do, I've empowered you to do. If you need any help in that, call on me. Call on me and I will help you. Asking the right person is important for sure. I mean, who else would we pray to than the God of heaven, right? Who else are we going to go to? But Jesus points out in this text that, that it's when our prayers are about what he's doing, that when our prayers are in concert with his work, it's as though we're about his work and he looks to answer those prayers. That's the stuff that God is trying to do. And so when we pray about the things that, that he's involved in, absolutely he's going to answer those prayers. We shouldn't doubt that. I, I asked Michelle if she'd share a story of, of how God led her prayers or maybe answered her prayers in kind of a significant way. And, and she told me a story of uh, Mr. Williams, I believe his name was. William Johnson. Okay. Williams. And then even, and there were two, Mr. Sappington. Um, whenever I go out, I'm always, I try to always pray, Lord, you know, where I'm going, show me someone I can just love or speak to or share your word with. And I know it happens because um, they talk about God. Uh, so I'm in the grocery store. I actually went to the gym, and then I went to the grocery store. And he didn't show me anyone in the gym. Um, so I'm in the grocery store, and I'm going to get milk. And I ran into this gentleman one other time at the meat meat department. But when we were getting milk, all I said was, hello, how are you? And that just opened up a half hour, probably longer than that, of him sharing his whole life to me, even bringing up God. And so as soon as he started bringing up God, I knew this was God's timing, perfect timing. And when we finished and we talked about the Lord, we talked about all the things he did, and he cried so many times in our conversation, that's God showing up. And it brought me to tears because he didn't even want to leave. Like he enjoyed that conversation. And, you know, he was an African-American, Vietnam, no, not World War II vet, uh, who just needed, he was lonely. And Amen. he needed someone. Amen. And then another time, walking in the cemetery, um, Mr. Sappington lost his wife maybe two weeks prior. Needed someone to talk to and shared his entire life with me. It's stopping. We have to stop what we're doing recognize that God's in it and just be available because mm -hmm. God is really at work. We have to open our eyes and yeah. remove ourselves out of it. Amen. So, so it's not about Lord, show me where I can find a Ford F-250 that I really want. <laughs> like that's not the prayer that God is looking to answer. The prayer that God is looking to answer is Lord, guide me to be a good steward of all that you've given me. My time, my family, my, my resources, right? Lord, guide me to, to share a word of hope and encouragement. Those are the things that we, we 
that God wants to answer those prayers. He wants to answer those prayers. I truly believe that. He wants to answer the prayers about the work that he's invited us into. That's what I see in this next part in Genesis as well. That the, the, the part about Rebecca. How do you get what you want? That's what Rebecca found out. In verse 22, the babies jostled each within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Just a sidebar, the name Jacob back then was not a compliment, right? It was not a, it was not a good thing. Um, so let me catch up here with the, the slides on the text. So she named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old. They'd been married 20 years when Rebecca gave birth to them. See, Rebecca had no idea that she had twins in her. All, all she knew was that there was a, a fight going on, right? Little did she know that it was a literal fight, that it was a literal struggle between her two children. But I think we can learn from, from her asking what the way she what and how she asked God that there's a right and a wrong way for us to ask for help. Just like there's a right and a wrong person to ask for help, Right? We don't want to ask the wrong person. We want to ask the right person. There's also a right and a wrong way to ask. We know this from our own experience, right? When uh, maybe you have a maybe you have a teenager in the house, or you had one in the house, and uh, you heard, "Can you help me, please?" That's one way to hear to ask for help. And then there's the, "Can you help me, please?" Right? There's a difference. Which one gets answered? Right? The first one, you're probably going to say, okay, what can I do to help? The second one, you're like, excuse me? Right? You're like, uh, you're going to check yourself because... So there's, there is a right way to ask. There's a right way to ask. I don't want you to think that I'm talking about like the right words. Like I have to say the, I have to pray the right kind of prayer for God to hear me or anything like that. It's not like... God is, does not play Simon Says, right? There's no magic combination of words to pray. Asking the right way is about the, the position of our heart. It's the attitude of, it's, it's our posture. It's our tone. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like that, can you help me please? Like nobody wants to help that person. She's, so when we look at the question of Rebecca in the text, it's important to look at how she asks. The first thing is, is she she's not asking, why God? Why God? Why? Why God? Like she, that's not her that's not her posture. I don't know if you've ever done that, right? What I have. When when I usually when I ask God questions that way, it usually comes out of a place of feeling that that life is not fair. Like this is not right. But she didn't ask why God. She she doesn't expect life to be perfect. She knows she's learned to trust God. And so she asks, why? 
She asks in faith. She asks in faith. That's what. That's exactly the way we're supposed to come to God, believing God. She asks in confidence that God will answer her out of his character, out of his love, out of his wisdom. That's what James wrote in James 1.6 when he said, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. See, when we question, when, when we question from doubts, it, it, it doesn't end, right? It's like a, like a four-year-old asking you why, right? It doesn't matter your, your answer. They will continue to ask, but why, but why, but why? Because, because they have nothing to believe, right? And so everything, they, nothing is concrete for them. It's like when we talked about evangelism last week, and Michelle spoke to it earlier. If you don't believe it's something that you're responsible for, that I'm responsible for, regardless of what Jesus says about it, then I'm probably not going to make it a priority in my life. Because I doubt it, right? But if I believe it, if I, have, if I believe that God has called me to it, then, then every, all my relationships change. All my conversations change, just what you were talking about. Right? That's just the way it works. We do not see Rebecca saying, why God? She's not questioning God. We also don't see her saying, why me? She's not the subject of a question here. She's not questioning for her benefit, right? I mean, the right question is never why me. I mean, a better question might be, why not me? You know, instead of instead of wondering why are the bad things happening to me, I mean, probably a better question is always, why does anything good happen to me? Right? I mean, what do we do? What do I deserve? What goodness do I deserve? That's what Scripture is kind of clear that that a better posture is that life is a blessing, not undeserved life. No, Rebecca here teaches us. I had that text in there. To ask according to God's will. And we should do that too. To ask according to God's will. She's, she's asking. Rebecca's not asking why me. She's not asking why God. She's asking why this. Why this, God? Help me to explain. Explain this, God. Make me, help me make sense of this, God. I mean, this is a prayer like. Teach me. Teach me. Like John wrote in his letter to the church where he said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that, we'll, that we have what we asked of him. That he hears us. That he hears us. That's the, that's the biggest thing. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have. You know, Rebecca knew something was going on. Yeah. And it wasn't her. Right. It was me. It was God's doing something. Yeah. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Why is this happening? It comes out of humility, not out of pride, like, like I don't deserve this. No. She went to the source of wisdom. And what does God do? He tells her right away. He tells her plainly. You have... You have two lives in you. Two nations are struggling against one another inside of you. For you and for me and for us, 
When we have questions, ask God and expect Him to give us understanding. He wants to give us understanding. So follow Him. Search for deeper awareness of His presence in your life. I don't want you to think that these are the only ways to get what you want. Because they're not. And that's what I believe this third story of people asking in today's text really show us. This, this other way of, of getting what we want is has been used for centuries. It's used again and again and again for one reason. That is because it often works. Usually works. The problem is, is that it works. <laughs> because And so we keep using it. This way, that's in this third passage, third section of Scripture here in today's text. Starting in verse 27. The last story of asking here today. The boys grew up. These are the children that Rebecca had. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a, wild, a taste for wild game, loved Esau, Esau the hunter, right? But Rebecca loved Jacob, the one who always stayed around the camp. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished, tired, wore out, hungry. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why they call it Edom, which means red, right? It's Edom, Jacob, Esau. He had all kinds of nicknames. Must have been from Rock Hall or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> verse 31. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. You would think, what? Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some of the bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and he got up and left. And Esau despised his birthright. Have you ever been that hungry? I mean, that's pretty hungry. I've never been that hungry. Where you would give up, where you would trade your inheritance, where you would trade your status in the world for a bowl of soup. I mean, lentil soup. I mean, it's certainly one way to get what you want, to give everything up for a bowl of soup, but I don't, I've heard lentil soup is not that good. I don't know. I don't think I've ever had it. Um, I've heard it's not that great. But that is how you, another way to get what you want, is you give up what's more important. Give up what's more important and you can get what you want. It seems like silly to us. I mean, who would who would do such a thing, right? Who would who would give up something more valuable for something of lesser value? Who would give up their future for something that's as insignificant as a bowl of soup? Who would give up the things that are most important in their life? Their name, their all their wealth, everything, their future for something that's temporary like a bowl of soup. Who would do that? Don't we do that kind of all the time, though? I mean, you and I, us watching this, I mean, some of you are probably doing it right now. I look around, see if my wife was doing it. But, but we have our face in our phones. We have our face in our phones just scrolling along, not really 
not really paying attention to the people in the same room with us. Not, not, not you know, we get all super spiritual, not reading God's word. I come home and um, been away from my wife all day and come home at night and we turn on Netflix and we just scroll, scroll, scroll. I mean, we do it. We give up what's most important, this, for this. We exchange the temporary, the things that don't last. And maybe there's a way that you can do those things that build relationships. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. And I think we try to do that. We talk about what we're watching and, and those that sort of thing. But uh, try to add value to it, right? But still, it's we very quickly trade what's most important in our lives for the least significant, least important things. Philippians chapter 4, I believe, speaks to this. When he says, and I'm starting in verse 10, I'm going to back up from the, the passages here on the screen. In, in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were, you were concerned, but I, you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I, can, I do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And then in verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What's most valuable? Which, which should be most valuable? That. The riches that we have in Christ. That should be the most valuable thing, that we wouldn't trade for anything, that we would look to increase the worth of that in our lives. We would want to grow that kingdom, and not the thing that we scroll through thinking that it's going to add any significance to our lives. Because it's not. This will, this will, worship will, being in fellowship with other believers, that will add significance, power to your life, but scrolling through there won't. Don't trade what matters most for what matters now. Even though the things that are screaming your, screaming at you, whether it be on your telephone or uh, at work or anywhere else, the things that seem most urgent, they're usually not the most important. What is most important? What, what, what has the most value in our lives, right? Our relationship with God, our faith, our families, our calling. Those have the most value in our life. Let us not give that away too quickly. Don't trade what matters most for what matters right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Be encouraged, church. He wants to help us. He wants to help us do all that he's called us to. Can I pray for you? God, thank you for those who are watching this today who may be Approaching or approaching their lives like, like Esau, giving away their birthright, giving away the relationship that they were born to have, the relationship with you, God, for some lentil stew. 
God, help us to cling to the things that are most important. Help us to make you a priority in our life, relationships in our life, the people, our families, our calling, God, those things that are the most important. Let us, let us see them as the most valuable parts of us. Thank you for encouragement, Lord. Thank you for reminding us. We love you. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions about today's message, I encourage you to reach out to me. I'd love to, to share, to talk to you about that. If you want to join us for a, a small group, uh, we meet on Monday nights at 7 o'clock at Rock Hall Church, or Rock Hall Charge office, uh, and we talk about the text. And uh, We have a small group there that just works through this text. Uh, Michelle leaves a small group on Monday nights. For women as well, they're meeting online. There's some information in today's bulletin about how you can be a part of those if you'd like to be. All right? Amen. <clears throat> Join me at least for our benediction, if you would. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there. He has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me no matter where I am. I believe this and go in his grace, his love, and his power. Amen. God bless you all, church. We'll see you soon. Have a fantastic day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.